0: Rambam Mishneh Torah, Hilchot Shechita, the laws of ritual slaughter, Padek chapter 2. In chapter 1, the Rambam gave a menu, an index, a list of all the things we need to know regarding Shechita. <clears throat> and one of these things we need to know is in what place Is it appropriate to perform shechita, ritual slaughter, and in what place is it inappropriate? And we speak not of the place on the animal, but the geographical location. What could be a geographical location that would be inappropriate for shechita? The answer is in the courtyard of the Holy Temple. We can't do every day mundane. Ritual slaughter in the courtyard of a holy temple, which is reserved for sacrifice slaughter, sacrificial slaughter. Karbonus. Aleph, it is permissible to slaughter. An animal anywhere, chutz with the exception of the temple courtyard. Why? Shen al is because the temple courtyard is a place reserved for slaughtering only the sacred offerings of the altar. Only that which is fit to be offered, its blood sprinkled and its fat burned on the altar. Avil but ordinary animals, mundane animals, everyday animals. Also, the Shachat and they are forbidden to slaughter in the courtyard, because that would be a violation of the spirit of sacrifices. You're bringing your non-sacrifices to slaughter in a place reserved for sacrifices. That applies to ben behemah, ben ben whether domestic wild animal or fowl. and this is the expression in the Torah. Dealing with b'sar tayvo, the word bisar taiva is an interesting word. The word tava means desire or lust. With meat that you desire to eat, in other words, it's not a sacrifice, it's just you want meat. That's what the Torah calls Bissar Taiva, meat that you desire to eat. Non-sacrifice meat. What is the expression? Ki yircha ashe When the place which God shall choose, referring to Jerusalem, will be far away from you, etc. Then it says, "Vizavachta, you shall slaughter, offer, you shall sacrifice mibkorcha, from your cattle, or and your sheep, etc. V'achalta bishorecha, and you may eat it in your gates." This teaches us, "Shen shecht that the everyday meat that you desire to eat just because you want meat, may only be slaughtered, outside the place where God chooses. It has to be far away, so to speak. This is a biblical allusion to the fact that you cannot have every day slaughter in the courtyard of the Holy Temple only that which is slaughtered outside of the temple courtyard is that which is permissible to eat anywhere. What if somebody doesn't follow this rule and does slaughter plain mundane everyday animals in the courtyard? It's not like the meat is impure from a perspective of purity and impurity. There's nothing that made it impure. However, it's forbidden. The asr bahano, it's forbidden not only to eat, but to benefit from. b'cholav, similar to the milk-meat mixture which was cooked, which we say is forbidden. Okay, similar to many other forbidden foods, so if you take an everyday non-sacrifice animal, slaughter it in the temple courtyard, it becomes forbidden. You may not even benefit from it. You can't even sell it for non-kosher. The keiverin, I say, you have to bury it, and if you burn it, the after its ashes are forbidden to derive benefit from. Even if one slaughtered this animal in the temple courtyard for health reasons, more to feed a non-Jew, more he did it to feed a dog, which means he didn't intend to eat it. He wanted to give it to his animal. He wanted to give it to a non-Jew. He needed to do it for health for a Jew. Still, this is forbidden meat. If somebody just kills an animal in the temple courtyard like cutting off his head, the hamaaker, or one, rips the signs of shechitah which are the kona and the veshit, the windpipe and the esophagus. It rips them apart, the evit kechav Sheshochat, or a non-Jew who slaughtered vnim or one who slaughters, and it be, it's found to be not kosher bazora, or somebody who slaughters a domestic wild animal or bird in, which are impure species in the courtyard because they are so forbidden he gave a list of things which in no way in the world could ever be kosher such as killing the animal, not shechting it, a non-Jew shechts, a non-kosher animal and so on and so forth, so all of these they're forbidden because they are inherently forbidden, but the Prohibition to benefit from doesn't apply because they're so out of the realm of what we're talking about. This does not only apply to a domestic and wild animal. Anything that's not a sacrifice. Which means any type of mundane food should not be brought into the courtyard. Even food that was sacrificed elsewhere. You want to bring in a pastrami sandwich. A peydas, or fruit, or pass or bread, a tuna fish sandwich. I'm going to bring my tuna fish sandwich to the temple courtyard and have it with my Diet Coke? Out of the question. So what if he did bring food in? They're still permitted to eat them, but it's not a good thing. These are all tradition. And anybody who slaughters everyday meat in the temple courtyard, or who even, who eats even an olive's worth, an, a volume of an olive, from everyday meat, which was slaughtered, bazora, he's liable to receive the rabbinic form of lashes that we've talked to, that were administered by the courts during certain periods. Dalid, If somebody says, he designates an animal. And he says, this animal, I am designating it as a peace offering, but I know that the animal has a fetus within it. It's pregnant. Its offspring, its fetus, will not be sanctified. I'm sanctifying the mother, but not the offspring. Uh, what if it was slaughtered in the courtyard? So here we have a complex bunch of rules here. Number one, the fetus was the result of the slaughter of its mother in the courtyard. Number two, we learned earlier that if the mother is slaughtered in general and the fetus is within the mother, theoretically or technically, the fetus does not even have to be slaughtered because it came out of a slaughtered mother. Vlada mutar the offspring is permissible to eat it. Because, because it was in the courtyard, and that's where it came to be, you're not allowed to slaughter it elsewhere. Therefore, you can just eat it. Now we enter into a whole set of laws that has to do with the laws of idol worship. And the way it worked way back when is that people would offer sacrifices to their various idols. And idols could be anything. Therefore, it's inappropriate to slaughter the animal so that it flows into rivers or seas, into waterways. What's the problem with slaughtering an animal over a waterway? Lest the onlooker, lest people say, This guy is a water worshipper. Water was a very popular form of worship. Used to worship water. So, slaughtering an animal over a waterway seems, suggests, it appears, as if the fellow is a water worshipper. Neither should he slaughter, having it run into the utens- a utensil filled with water. Shema lest people say, Latsudo Shatir Abamayim shochat he is worshipping and therefore slaughtering this animal to the image that appears in the water. Presumably the image of the animal that he's slaughtering appears into in the water, because the water is a mirror. Vilayish Besei hakelim. nor should he slaughter for the blood to run into. Utensils because people will say he's collecting blood to offer to idols and not into a hole because this is the pattern of idol idol worshipers they collect blood, they collect blood in a hole, in a pot and if he did his Shechitah is kosher, yet this is not something that somebody should do. However, one may slaughter into murky water, where an image cannot be seen, or outside the pit, even though the blood runs off into the pit, that's okay. Or but in the street, in the marketplace, Layasa he should not do so. Shema Esaminim not to mimic the heretics. And if he did slaughter, having it run into a pit in the marketplace, also it is forbidden eat Mishkitosi from the slaughter of this shoket, until they check him out they launch an investigation Shema maybe he's an idolater maybe he's a heretic it is however permissible to slaughter on the wall of a ship you know you're on a ship and you want to slaughter where's all this blood going to go to? it's going to make a mess so you hang the neck over the outside of the ship it blunts onto the wall then into the water that's okay it's also permissible to slaughter on the surface of utensils as long as the water doesn't run into the utensil where people might think you're going to take it and offer that blood Rather, as long as the blood doesn't run into the utensil people are going to think you're going to offer the blood to idolatry, to idols now he says here that the Shulchan Aruch brings down the ruling about the shochet who slaughters into a pit in the marketplace, you're not allowed to eat from his food until you launch an investigation that others rule, the Rajbah and others rule that it's permitted and the Ramah says that in the present age when pagan rites are not that commonly practiced, one can rely on a more lenient view this was written more for a time when pagan rites were practiced all over the place, it was rampant pagan practice in general how does one perform that which we call shechita the answer is one extends the neck and he passes the knife back and forth until the animal is slaughtered and this is an important ingredient an axiom in the laws of Shita. The knife has to be watch my hand back and forth, forth and back. Because we will learn later that there are five things which automatically disqualify, invalidate shechita. One of them is going down, chopping, pressure. You have to go like this. Now whether the animal was laying down and the hand of the shohat was moving back and forth or the shochet was or the animal was standing still and he grabs the neck and the knife is underneath and he moves the neck back and forth either way it's kosher because it was the result of a back and forth movement of knife against bird or animal, or animal against animal or bird against knife. The main thing is there's the back and forth. Ches. No it's a sasak and what if he plants a knife in a wall so that it's firm And he brings the neck of the animal back and forth over it until it's slaughtered. You could say this is kosher. Why? Because the power of the human being moved the animal back and forth. Only if the neck of the animal was below the knife and the knife was above the neck because of the animal neck was higher. knife, We're afraid that the animal will just come down on the knife and it'll be more like decap- decapitation, more like chopping, then back and forth, which is not kosher, as we say later. This is not a kosher, shekita. as we will explain. That's one of the five big no-no's. Therefore, if it was a bird, whether the neck of the bird was higher or lower than the knife, above or below the knife, kosher. because with the bird, you're not gonna have the concern of the pressure of the animal falling down on the knife and invalidating the shechita if he slaughters and he brings the knife forward does not bring it back so again watch me he goes like this but does not go like this or he goes like this brings it close to him and doesn't extend it away from him we said earlier there should be a back and forth movement or a forth and back movement here he goes only one way but he did the job. Is that okay? It's perfectly kosher. What if he kept going back and forth until the head was totally severed? That's fine. It's also kosher. Not necessary, but kosher what if he moved forward, he did not move back, or he went back, he did not move forward, and in one move, either forth or back, he totally severed the head. If the knife is big enough, where it has two necks worth of the neck of the thing being slaughtered, then it's fine, because It was long enough to have accomplished that. And I believe it says in general that's what the knife should be. Twice the length of the neck of what you're slaughtering. But if not, then it's not kosher. And I'm hypothesizing because we're concerned that it was slaughtered more with pressure then a back and forth movement and pressure is one of these of the list which invalidates the shchita. shnei roshim what if he cut two animal heads with one move you had people holding down the animals perfectly and the Shochit goes and does two at a time if everything else is good then this is fine yud shnaim shokhatin what if two people you had a team. Two people held the knife. Even if one held it from the handle side and the other held it from the edge of the blade side. The bottom line is, is that they performed a kosher ritual slaughter. Why not? Which means it doesn't say that only one person has to shecht. Two people can shecht. Let's complicate the path here. Two people went and slaughtered the animal at the same time in different places, on the neck. One did it an inch above, the other one did it two inches below. We're going to learn soon that an animal has a fairly large space on the neck where you can shech. It's okay. It doesn't say you can't have two cuts. You just don't need it. Furthermore, <clears throat> as we know in the laws of kashrus, of Shita, you need both the windpipe, the trachea, as well as the esophagus, have to be cut at least 51%. What if one of them slaughtered the veshet? And the one slaughtered the esophagus, the other slaughtered the windpipe. The trachea. Or not only the whole thing, but the majority of it. So you had two people doing part of the shechita. One did one simon, the esophagus, and the trachea are called simonium. Those are the two parts of the animal that must be severed, at least to some extent as we learned and will learn. So if you had two people, one did the esophagus and one did the trachea, it's kosher. Even though they are, there's some area, one is in one area higher and the other one is lower. So also, if shechita was performed in the form of a reed, where it's on an angle or in the form of a comb they're both acceptable shita a read he says he cuts in a slant cutting the windpipe at an angle and continuing to descend at that angle and cutting the gullet the trachea cutting the esophagus and the comb he interprets as being that the person cut in several places on the simonium others me- say it means a cut that slants back and forth in any way, in any event, under certain conditions, it's acceptable so, we're obviously not that particular on who the shochet is. Could be one, could be two, could be this, could be that this is not one of the biggies. Lafikar, therefore, this is a very fundamental law in Shita. Chedesh, a person who is a deaf mute where we said in other halachas that they are incapable of performing, for example, marriage or divorce to some extent, a sheta, or someone who's not mentally developed, a kotner, a minor, a shikr, or someone who is intoxicated, sh'nezbaa where they can't focus, o'mi or someone who's overcome by an evil spirit, someone who went insane, even temporarily, She'shochatei, and he slaughtered. This is an important key. There are others there watching and supervising, and they know it was done right. despite the fact that the cherosh, or the Sheita or the katan, or the shikar, or the ruach rogai, did the shita, it's kosher. So who does the shita is not all that important but what if a shita happened by itself? What if a knife fell? He drops a knife out of a third story window and it does a perfect shita. Pisha even though the Shita was as we say in French, formidable, was wonderful. This is an invalid shechita. It has to be slaughtering. The person has to slaughter. Even though he doesn't intend to, but it has to be the person doing it. So, I, I, I want to take back my example of the person dropping the knife. The knife dropped. Because maybe the person dropping it, maybe that's the person checking, maybe that is okay. Yudgimol Gogol What if there was a wheel of stone, a or wood? It was a wheel that went round like an old mill wheel. And the knife is stuck in the wheel. I know that the human being has to cause it to move. So the human being causes the wheel to move. Some sum or and he placed the neck of the bird, a or the animal, connect opposite this knife, stuck in this wooden or stone wheel. So that it, the shita, the slaughtering, came about through the circulation of the wheel. kosher. However, or if the water pressure spun the wheel and the neck was placed there as it was going round that it's not kosher because it's not the power of the human that's spinning the wheel, it's the water power that's spinning the wheel however, if a person caused the water to flow which caused the wheel to turn this would be kosher because it came from the energy of man when does this apply with the first turn of the wheel because it was the man letting the water go that caused the first turn but the ensuing revolutions of the wheel are not from the power of man, but they are from the power of the water. So only the first revolution would be a kosher chita. If somebody slaughters and he has in mind that he's slaughtering to the mountains, to the hills, the shame yamim to the oceans, the shame to the rivers, the shame to the, the deserts. Even though he wasn't intending to do it clearly for the sake of idol worship, he was told that if he slaughters an animal to the hills or the winds or the oceans, then he is going to get an energy which is going to cure him from whatever ails him. Or other similar stuff of the foolishness which the idolaters relate. That if you slaughter an animal to the waters, it'll help you feel better, or whatever. That intent disqualifies and invalidates the shechita. But if he slaughters to the energy, the spiritual energy of the ocean, or mountain, or stars, or... Constellations of are similar. This is real idol worship. So this slaughtered animal becomes another offering of an idol. What if when one slaughters the animal he has in mind to take its blood and sprinkle it to idols or to smoke its fat before idols? Then this whole animal is forbidden. Why should the whole animal be forbidden? He performed a kosher, shechita, and he just had in mind that at some point in time, he'll offer the blood or the fat to an idol. The answer is, We learn a law from an inappropriate thought in everyday, mundane food outside the temple courtyard, from the laws of inappropriate thoughts inside the temple courtyard. Inside the courtyard, if somebody did that with a sacrifice, it would invalidate the sacrifice. So also, outside the courtyard, it invalidates the everyday food. As we will explain in the laws of the unfit sanctities. Tezai 16 what if he first slaughtered it? And then he said, you know what? There's such beautiful blood here. Let me use the blood to serve an idol. Look at this gorgeous fat. It's a shame it should go to waste. Let me smoke it. Now we're not sure whether this is forbidden or not. On the one hand, you would say it is forbidden because the end retroactively show that the beginning was for idolatrous purpose, and with this thought in mind, he did the whole slaughtering which would invalidate it, or you could say, at the time that he slaughtered it, it's okay. What he did later doesn't matter. What if when somebody slaughters an animal outside the holy temple, he has in mind that he is slaughtering a holy sacrifice, where you have a similar sacrifice offered on a voluntary basis, or a vow basis, in the Holy Temple. Which means, he's mimicking something that he himself could bring about. then, it is invalid. Because being that what he's doing outside the courtyard area is what he could be doing inside the courtyard area, and he's doing it for the sake of a sacrifice, then his thoughts invalidate the whole thing. But if he has in mind to bring an offering that he himself could not bring, because it's not a vow or free will offering that he could initiate, so it doesn't work. You can't bring that kind of an offering on your own. Therefore, the whole process doesn't mean anything. And now the Rambam goes to explain it. Goes on to explain it. Yud Ches 18 Ketzad, for example, Hashoich Lashem If somebody slaughters outside the Holy Temple courtyard for the sake of a burnt offering, Lashem Shlomim the peace offering, the Teida thanks offering, the Pesach a Paschal offering, all of these are things which man can initiate. A person could initiate a voluntary burnt offering, a voluntary peace offering, a voluntary thanks offering. Even the paschal offering could be designated early. Even the paschal offering is in this list because a person could theoretically dedicate it at any time he wants to so it's parallel to something which could be pledged or promised, and therefore it is invalid because he did it outside the temple courtyard. However, shacharif if he offered a sacrifice outside the temple courtyard, and he had in mind the Khatas that he's doing a sin offering. A person can't just bring a sin offering. The Shem vadei for a guilt offering that's certainly the Shem a. An uncertain guilt offering, L'Shem a firstborn offering, L'Shem Iser, the tenth animal, L'Shem tmura, exchanging the animal. All of these are kosher, because a person cannot initiate any of these on his own, and therefore he can't mimic it outside the temple either. What if he was obligated to bring a sin offering? And he did slaughter outside, and he said, and here he was obligated to bring a sin offering, now his slaughter now is invalid, because he actually made a statement that he's doing something he's obligated to do in the holy temple, and he's doing it outside. say, what if he had a sacrifice in his house? and he sacrificed and he said, I'm, you, you, I'm offering this as an exchange for my offering. sepsula. Again, it's invalid. be, because he actually did this exchange, which is part of a normal process. And by the way, the Rambam is a unique halachic authority, which gives halacha for base hamigdash period, post base hamigdash period. So here we see he's mixing. The periods of when there is a base of when there isn't. This is the only set of halacha that covers all eras. A woman offers a sacrifice, and as we will learn, a woman may be the sholchet. There's no reason why a woman cannot shecht. A woman who offers the sacrifice and she has in mind the shem elas to fulfill the obligation of the burnt offering she has to bring because she had a baby. The Amra, and she says, Zula ilasi, this is for my burnt offering. Because you can't, without having a baby, volunteer to bring this burnt offering and say, I'm bringing a burnt offering as if I had a baby. Because she did not have a baby. Where she would have been obligated. We don't even suspect. Lest she miscarried. And therefore she is perhaps obligated. And she's bringing this outside offering. As an offering. And therefore this would be inappropriate and unfit. The answer is when a woman has a miscarriage. A rumor goes out. People talk about it. However, when one brings an offering for the burnt offering that a Nazirite has to bring, a Nazirite is somebody who vows not to drink wine, and not to cut his hair, and not to expose himself to death in cemeteries and so on. So he's bringing an offering outside the Holy Temple for his Nazirite offering, which maybe he was a Nazirite. And therefore, maybe this would be invalid because it's replacing a real sacrifice. That's correct. His now, his Shchita, is unfit. Because the mainstay of Niziris is an individual making a vow. We never know. Maybe he made a vow. Two people holding a knife and slaughtering, which we learned earlier, is okay. And one of them is thinking something that prohibits the whole slaughter. And the other one is not thinking about anything. He's just thinking about the stock market. Or he's thinking something permissible. But the other guy is thinking forbidden stuff he's thinking idols, or idolatry, or what have you, then it's unfit, because you have a second partner, if one of the two partners is thinking the unfit thoughts, then the whole thing is unfit. So also if they slaughtered one after the other, and one of them intended an unfit thought, so he could make it, that it's an inappropriate, or unfit, or invalid sacrifice. If he had a partnership in the ownership, but he has no partnership in the ownership, he doesn't forbid it. Because a Jew cannot invalidate something he doesn't own. Because his intent is only to upset the other guy. So you can't go and have a wrong, Intent for something that's not yours. Finally, the closing paragraph, Chav 22. What if a Jew did ritual slaughter for an idol worshiper? No matter what the idolater is thinking, the fact that the Jew went and slaughtered an animal kosher, is it, it makes it kosher. So if he wants a peace, that's fine. We're only concerned with the one who slaughters what he's thinking, not with the owner's thinking. Therefore, if an idolater slaughtered an animal for a Jew, even a minor, the whole shchita is as if the animal died on its own, because a non-Jew, as we learn, cannot, as, in, as we will learn, cannot be a shochet. As we will explain. End of chapter 2.